Alright, hello, welcome to today's episode of Plain Sight Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob. Today we're going to be getting into uh, the history of the occult, basically. Um, because uh, there, I've only done a few episodes so far, so I kind of want there to be context, you know? Like you can kind of go back to earlier episodes and maybe listen to something um, and I just kind of wanted to start with the basics, and we're going to be talking about the occult a lot on this show, and, you know, I I know not everyone is familiar with these concepts and this sort of thing. It's kind of a weird thing. It's kind of taboo a little bit, um, uh, I and some people know about this sort of thing, but not everybody does. And I just wanted to do an episode that sets as, like, a nice little platform for people to kind of start looking into this sort of stuff. And hopefully it will provide some more context moving forward because the people that I mention in this podcast are definitely going to be mentioned later on down the line. Um, There's a lot of people I want to talk about in terms of this sort of thing. So... Let's just get into it, I guess. I have quite a few notes from random different sources. Um, A lot of it is from, like, Wikipedia, right? So it's pretty basic stuff that you can find pretty much with a quick Goog. But... uh, And I've tried to reword things to make them more digestible because a lot of this stuff is kind of... Uh, non-digestible, I guess. A lot of it is kind of uh, hard to talk about because there's a lot of different elements to it. So, anyways, let's just start. And I'm going to start this conversation with this person. Her name is Helena Blavatsky. Um, Now... She was a Russian spiritualist. She was kind of like a mystic. She claimed to be psychic. She was into all the mysticism and that sort of thing. She was a writer also. And she ended up co-founding this thing called Theosophy. And basically it was like a religious philosophy. Um, She ended up... Before I get ahead of myself, this religious philosophy that she created was basically a combination of, like, Eastern, Asian beliefs, you know, kind of like Buddhism and Tibetanism, or I think that's how you say it, I don't know. Um, But she took those beliefs and mixed them with occultism, and she ended up writing several books, uh the most significant ones being called Isis Unveiled and The Secret Doctrine, which we're going to talk a little bit about those uh, here in just a bit. Now, her theosophical foundation became pretty popular, especially during the late 1800s, and it's still in operation today. So this person is significant for a lot of reasons. Um... And I I probably won't even be able to fit it all into one episode, but I'll give you a little bit of history about her. Um, she was a bit of a socialite, I think. I think she was born into wealth, so she was able to travel a lot. And she did a lot of traveling um, between 1860 and 1870. She claimed to have traveled from Russia to Turkey and through India, and she ended up in Tibet. And it's there that she claimed to have studied with monks in a Tibetan monastery where she learned this uh, secret language, I guess is what she called it, uh, called Senzar. And she associated it with the lost continent of Atlantis. Now... Atlantis, that's a whole nother episode for a whole nother time, but it's interesting that she mentions Atlantis because, you know, 
it plays into this whole weird thing that we're talking about. But uh, she came back to the United States in 1873 and in New York City, and while she was investigating paranormal phenomena, apparently, in Vermont, she met this reporter, and his name was Henry Steele Alcott. Alcott? Alcott, yeah. Who apparently became intrigued by her and her belief system and what she, what she had to say. He was interested. So they ended up starting a newsletter together, and it was called The Spiritual Scientist. Spiritual Scientist. It sounds like very new agey. It, that's what... And a lot of this stuff is new agey. But that's the thing about new age is like new age is just old age. It's old stuff coming back and becoming new again. I think that's why they call it new age. Because like witchcraft and Wicca and crystals and, you know, sigils and drawings and all that sort of thing. That has been around for a long, long time. There's nothing new about it. You know, but it hasn't been popular. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's always been popular in certain sects of society. But with the rise of the Internet and, you know, Tumblr culture and Twitter culture, these sorts of things get popular again. But um, so they started Spiritual Scientist and this organization that they kind of created, and they called that the Brotherhood of Luxor, um, like uh, the pyramid in fucking Vegas, like that pyramid. Um, the Brotherhood later became the Miracle Club, and it was under that name that they ran lectures and programs in New York. And then finally they renamed themselves the Theosophical Society, which is what they're known as today. Now, the word theosophy is based on the Greek words theos and sophia, and thus means wisdom of the gods. Um, the Theosophical Society attracted uh, a bunch of prominent New Yorkers, wealthy New Yorkers. So there's probably, um, I think the wealth element kind of plays into a lot of this stuff too, because the other person I'm going to talk about, Aleister Crowley, he also came from wealth, uh, I think. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to double check, but um, she had pretty controversial beliefs for her time, and her beliefs were interesting. Um, I find them interesting. Um, at the time, they were pretty sacrilege, and she was not a fan of Christianity either, I will say that. I'm not either. I mean, I'm not a Christian. Um to be honest, my beliefs are more kind of in line with hers, but, you know, I don't subscribe to, like, theosophy either, so, um, she wrote several books, I mentioned that already, now, the, the whole basic philosophy of theosophy now, I'm going to read this as expressed in the present-day Theosophical Society's website. So this is coming from them, okay, the Theosophical Society's website. But they describe it as a primary idea is that the essential oneness of all beings, so basically life, is everywhere throughout the cosmos because all of it originates from the same unknowable divine source. Consequently, everything from the subatomic particles that make up plants, animals, humans, planets, stars, galaxies, they're all alive, evolving, and each is divine at its root because of the divine source, and it expresses itself through you know, various different spiritual, intellectual, psychological, ethereal, uh, just a material range of consciousness and substances um, in the material world also. Um, and evolution kind of reflects this emerging of, of self-expression, how we express ourselves of 
faculties, which differentiates into material forms. Um, this last part is kind of a little confusing. Develops spiritual and conscious aspects and over cosmic time periods returns to the divine source. So basically just describing life and death and um, the life of the individual of humanity and the entire earth is part of a cosmic process, basically, um, which is kind of hippy dippy, kind of new agey, kind of like stoner-ish, I guess. But, you know, I dig it, man. Let's just all love each other, you know. Why can't we all just get along? People are too uptight nowadays. Um, now, Blavatsky believed and talked about um, these ascended masters that she came in contact with. And Aleister Crowley also had a little sect of um, spiritual masters, spiritual ascended masters um, that he called secret chiefs. But Blavatsky called hers... Mahatmas. Mahatmas. <laughs> Mahatmas. Blavatsky is Mahatmas. Uh, they belong to um, a, a kind of inner government of the entire world, like this underground government, basically. Um, and, you know, she was saying that the sect that she was with were like opposed by this evil black lodge that was also trying to take control of the earth or whatever. I don't know. This shit is very far out there and very complex and convoluted. And a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not this lady even was legit at all. I mean, she could have been making all this shit up and it could have been a bunch of bullshit that doesn't even matter, you know? Um, she could have just been a con artist for all we know. But her beliefs and her philosophies um, kind of ring relevant and she also kind of predicted certain things about the future not specific things but just the way of people and the way that people act and the evolution of us this idea that man is on this evolutionary process that they probably the, you know, I mean, where we're at now at this time, we've never been before. So, if that that makes any fucking sense, it probably doesn't. Um, let me talk about theosophy a little bit more. Um, this is from Wikipedia. So, theosophy teaches that there is an ancient and secretive brotherhood. There's that, uh, what are they called? Mahamatas. Mah Mahatmas. <laughs> Mahatmas, I like saying that. Uh, I'm sorry, I should shut up. Um, that okay, an ancient and secretive brotherhood of spiritual adepts known as the Masters, who, although found across the world, are centered in Tibet. These Masters are alleged by Blavatsky to have cultivated great wisdom and supernatural powers, and Theosophy theosophists believe that it was they who initiated the modern theosophical movement through disseminating their teachings via Blavatsky. So they believe that these masters are attempting to revive knowledge of an ancient religion that was once found across the entire world, and it will again come to eclipse all the other existing world religions. And that's something that I actually kind of uh, agree with. Uh, you can We can see it happening right now in front of our face. Religion is falling flat on its fucking face, especially in America. Nobody wants to go to church. Nobody... I mean, I live in the South, so, you know, there's plenty of Bible-thumping Christians around here. But, you know, there's definitely... 
uh, an attitude changing in America, and people are caring less and less and less about religion. And, uh, you know, I think the idea, I mean, we do lack a worldwide religion, and I don't know what a worldwide religion would look like. I don't know what would make a worldwide religion happen. I, I really don't, uh, but it's a trippy concept to think about, the idea of the entire world worshiping one godlike being, which I guess everyone is doing already, but they're doing it under their own little religion and religious process, I guess. Um, I don't know. Let me continue reading. Uh, they believe... I already read that. Theosophical groups will again... Theosophical groups, nevertheless, do not refer to their system as a religion. Theosophy preaches the existence of a single divine absolute. It promotes an emanationist cosmology in which the universe is perceived as outward reflections from this absolute, which is kind of like a little bit reminiscent of like as above, so below, within, without, um, which are, you know, occult concepts. That again, we'll just have to talk about another time because there's just too much to talk about here. Um, Theosophy teaches that the purpose of human life is spiritual emancipation and claims that the human soul undergoes reincarnation upon bodily death according to a process of karma. It promotes values of universal brotherhood and social improvement, although it does not stipulate particular ethical codes. So it's not like a religion, right? They're basically just saying that our purpose on the planet is to kind of evolve and... To just evolve the human soul, right? And hopefully we all do that every day in a way, you know, I mean, just by being decent human beings and not being an asshole. And I mean, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, it's pretty basic stuff, really. Um, Blavatsky stated, theosophy is purely divine ethics, uh, the definitions and dictionaries are nonsense based on religious prejudice and ignorance of the true spirit of the early Rosicrucians and medieval philosophers who called themselves theosophists. Theosophy means God's wisdom. It is, in her words, the subtranium and or the substratum and basis of all world religions and philosophies taught and practiced by a few elect ever since man became a thinking being. So there she's saying that all of the religions that we do have now come from this one religion in a way, I think is what she's trying to say, or this belief that, you know, it's all coming from one kind of big divine source, I guess. Now, I'll talk about her book here a little bit called Isis Unveiled. Um... Isis, a reference to the Egyptian god Isis. Um, it was intended to make known to the world the existence of, a, of the wisdom religion, the universal the hidden religion. Um, the, you know, Isis is supposed to be symbolical, so it's not a direct reference to Egypt. It's more just a symbolical thing. Um, the unveiling of Isis, the secret mystery religion, basically. Um, it was described in her later book, The Secret Doctrine, as the universally diffused religion of the ancient prehistoric world, and that all the presently existing religions and philosophies originate from it. That's what I just said, basically. Sorry, I've got a lot of notes here, and a lot of them are the same, right? I'm kind of repeating myself. I need to be careful about that. Um, I'm sorry. I'm kind of all over the place today. Now, some of the concepts that she discusses. Um, 
that spiritual realities and phenomena are not outside of nature and do not depend on blind faith, but rather can be explained according to laws of nature, which modern science has not adequately understood, which is another statement that I actually kind of agree with. I mean, science... I mean, science is kind of becoming like the new religion, right? I mean, people, you know, it's like science is end-all, be-all. Science, you know, if it's not fact, if it can't be proven with facts or science or math or whatever, have be it, then it's all bullshit and there's no point in even talking about it. But I don't agree with that. And I think some people hang their hat on the word of science like 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 it's like it's the bible you know i mean people act like you can't you don't insult the scientist you know because (laughs) that's another argument for another time um now the reality of power is latent in each human soul is the fundamental principle explaining the insight essential spiritual reality or God because it demonstrates one's transcendent nature and this individual transcendent nature is linked to the absolute transcendent nature of reality like a drop of water to an ocean basically like we're like you as an individual your soul is like a drop of water in an ocean of combined soul combined ethereal spirit i guess um i think is what she's trying to say there i don't know science versus religion and this is what she said about science versus religion she said between these two conflicting titans science and theology is a bewildered public fast losing all belief in man's personal immortality in a deity of any kind and rapidly descending to the level of a mere animal existence such as the picture of the hour illumined by the bright noonday sun of this christian and scientific era deeply sensible of the titanic struggle that is now in progress between materialism and the spiritual aspirations of mankind our constant endeavor has been to gather into our several chapters like weapons and armories every fact and argument that can be used to aid the latter in defeating the former sickly and deformed child as it is now is the materialism of today is born of the brutal yesterday unless its growth is arrested it may become our master so i mean america is one of the most materialistic capitalistic countries on the fucking planet i mean come on uh just it's christmas time right now you know i haven't done my christmas shopping yet but i need to right and um you know she's talking about you know i mean i find that statement to be relevant today you know i mean people there is a lack of or seems to be a lack of spiritual awareness and with people not everybody for sure but you know i mean most people go about their day just doing their thing just you know working their job or doing this or doing that you know they don't they're not taking time out of their day to ponder the existence of god or the nature of reality or the the birds and the bees and how it all kind of works together and flows together like most people are just trying to get through the fucking day, you know, I think is what it comes down to, uh, because this planet is brutal. You know, it doesn't take any prisoners. You know, it's, it's, it's hard out there, you know? Um, now she also talks about magic a little bit and, uh, magical concepts. I'll talk about that just a bit. Um, she says that magic is kind of like just spiritual wisdom. So nature, the material ally, pupil and servant of the magician. So the material is kind of like, like we can manipulate it in a way through our thoughts and actions, I guess. One common vital principle pervades all things, this is what she says. And this is controllable by the perfected human will. 
the adept can stimulate the movements of the natural forces in plants and animals in a preternatural degree. Such experiments are not obstructions of nature, but quickenings. The conditions of intenser vital action are given. When I read that, I almost think about like our relationship with dogs. You know, like you can just look at your dog a lot of the time and or at least, you know, me, I have like three dogs that I live with right now. So, you know, I mean, you look at your dog and it's almost like you can read each other's minds a lot of the time. Like, I don't know. And, And it happens with people, too. I mean, we're just having a conversation with someone is kind of like a psychic experience because you don't know what's going to come out of the next person's mouth. And, you know, whatever does, you just kind of flow with it. You have to go with it. Um, And um, I don't know if that makes any sense either. Like I said, I'm all over the place today. This is a trippy episode, man. So... To sum it up, theosophy and magic and all these ideas, she's talking about true will, um, and these things have to do with uh, intuition and our kind of more clairvoyant nature, um, more open-minded nature, I guess. Now, we're about to get into Aleister Crowley, and this guy is a real bastard, all right, um... I've looked in, I mean, a lot of people have heard of Aleister Crowley, and um, he's been talked about a lot in, like, pop culture, too. There's been a lot of references to him in music, especially popular music, especially heavy metal and, like, classic rock, which is kind of what I'm going to focus on getting into this. But first, we have to kind of get into, like, who he was. He was a writer, he was like Helena Blavatsky, a socialite, he was wealthy, and he was also an occultist and a practitioner of magic and magic rituals. So, in 1898, he joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and um, for those of you who don't know what the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is, they were basically this mystical secret society that was formed in 1887 and they were headquartered in London Um, and I think they were founded by Freemasons and they might have had some connections to the Rosicrucians as well but they practiced ritual occult magic and sciences so um, another fun fact about them is that Bram Stoker was also a notable member so you don't know who Bram Stoker was, he was the author of Dracula, so we have him to thank for all the blood-sucking vampires out there, so, you know, that's where this guy, you know, they connect together, so go figure. Now, Crowley is significant, most significant, I mean, he's significant for a lot of things, but the thing that makes him significant and has kind of made him a legend uh, in a way. I mean, he's not like a good legend, a positive legend, but what's made him so famous was this event that he claimed happened, and this was in 1904 when he went to Cairo, Egypt, where he allegedly invoked uh, ancient Egyptian gods, and on the 8th of April, he heard a disembodied voice in the chamber, uh, I think it was in the chamber of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Or, they had visited it, or, fuck, I don't know. Look into this for yourself, people. The shit is real. I mean, I don't know if it really happened, but this information, this story, this is how it went down, okay? And this is legit, okay? Like, this is what happened, okay? On the 8th of April... This disembodied voice that he heard was what it claimed to be Awas. That was its name, Awas. And he was a messenger of Horus, basically. And if you don't know who Horus is, he was an Egyptian god. Um, I don't know what he was the Egyptian god of, but yeah, Egyptian god. 
Crowley said that he wrote down everything that the voice told him over the course of the next three days, and then he titled it Liber al Vel Legis, or The Book of the Law. And the Book of the Law proclaimed that humanity was entering a new aeon, the Aeon of Horus, and that Crowley was going to serve as its prophet, basically. Now, the Book of the Law... It is. It's like this really weirdly written. It's it's not an easy read. It's not easily digestible. It's not something you can read and just kind of understand, you know, just glancing at it. Like, you know, I still have problems, like, really kind of understanding everything that's being said. But basically, uh, this book states that talks about this supreme, what he deems, okay, this is what AWAS. And Alistair Crowley deemed to be the supreme moral law in this new aeon that we were entering. And that was do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So suggesting um, that people live to their true will. That it is your true will that you follow. And it's through following that will that you will find success you'll find what you're looking for basically um now this book and philosophy became the cornerstone of this religion that he created so like helena blavatsky he created the kind of religious ideal system his was more of a religion though and it was called philema and he became known as and he referred to himself as the beast 666 so i mean just type in b666 and you'll find alistair crowley now in 1907 crowley joined forces with the oto the ordo templi orientalis uh the order of eastern templars they were another mystical uh occult secret society uh that were pretty big back then and then Once he joined up with them, he ended up becoming head of the OTO in Britain. But World War I broke out, and he moved back to the United States. Um, But it was was through the OTO and his time there that he learned about sex magic and its rituals, which became a big part of his teachings during his life and... I'll be honest, I have not looked into sex magic too much. I don't know much about it. I don't really want to look into it too much because, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't interest me that much. But, you know, I have heard of it. And um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, actually. (laughs) Hold on, let me pull this up because this is important, man. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers have an album referencing... Um, and we're about to get, it's perfect segue because we're about to really get into the musical artists that have referenced Crowley and that Crowley has really influenced over time, but Red Hot Chili Peppers are one of them. Let me look this up really quick. Um, yes, Blood Sugar Sex Magic was the fifth studio album by Red Hot Chili Peppers, and it was produced by Rick Rubin, who is Illuminati confirmed. Believe me, that guy is very sketchy, Um, but he's very popular in terms of, like, um, hip-hop music. I think he worked with Jay-Z. Let me do a quick goog on him, too. See how you fall down the rabbit hole? You don't even mean to. Rick Rubin. This dude. <laughs> God. Uh, he, he made Slayer popular, which are a very satanic band. Slayer's pretty dope. I like Slayer. Um, he helped popularize, yeah, hip-hop music um, with the labels Def Jam, uh, so he signed LL Cool J, uh, Ghetto Boys, Run DMC, um, and the Beastie Boys, of course, uh, Weezer, 
Johnny Cash, Dixie Chicks. So these kind of questionable people, but that's for another time. Um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. That was one of their most popular albums, and it really landed them into mainstream success. So there you go. Maybe there's something to the sex magic. Um, Now, who else has referenced uh, Aleister Crowley? A lot. Let me tell you. A lot. Now, the Rolling Stones, I'm going to mention the Rolling Stones because... They did not specifically mention Aleister Crowley in like a song or anything like that, but they wrote this song called Sympathy for the Devil. Um, And Mick Jagger was, well, Mick Jagger and Mick Jagger's girlfriend at the time were really, really good friends with this occultist filmmaker, and his name was Kenneth Anger. And he was a Thelemite at one time and a follower of Crowley. He was into sex magic. He made tons of films where he, like, filmed these occult rituals. And I'm planning on doing an analysis and a review of some of those later on down the line. Um, I haven't seen any of them before. I'm hoping they're not too... uh, But, you know, very interesting guy. Um, But... You know, the Rolling Stones, they wrote this song called Sympathy for the Devil. It was released in 1968. And, I mean, just the first lyrics are, Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long years. Stole million soul... Stole million man's soul... (laughs) Excuse me. And faith. Um... So the song is about Satan, and (sighs) Satanism gets tied into this whole thing just because of the nature of it. Um, Aleister Crowley wasn't a good guy. I'll say that. He was abusive to his wives. You can look into this. Um, His wife that went to Egypt with him in Cairo, she ended up having to be fucking institutionalized for like alcohol poisoning or not alcohol poisoning like alcohol related dementia or something like she had drunk herself insane and so had Aleister Crowley honestly I mean he was a raging alcoholic he was a heroin addict cocaine addict um he was constantly doing drugs and writing about drugs I might as well mention that now. He published a book in 1922 called The Diary of a Drug Fiend. Um, It's a story. It's a fictional story, but it's based upon his own experiences with all these different drugs. He also took absinthe a lot, um, but he also documented the effects of substances and how they affected him on a regular basis, and it wasn't just in this book. I mean, he had pages and pages of stuff you know, documenting his experiences with these sorts of things. So he did substances for the kind of experimental aspect too, I guess. Now, this is the last thing I guess we're going to talk about for now, and that's just all the people that he's influenced um, in terms of music, Um, because that's the most significant to me, because these are not just... um, I mean, these are important musical artists that I'm about to mention here, and I don't take it lightly that they are fans of Aleister Crowley. I mean, this is this really does have something to do with the bigger picture, the bigger agenda, and it's probably not going to be clear after this first episode that bigger picture. I mean, you're. I mean, this is just like barely putting a foot in the door, but. Um, Hopefully, after going through this little list, you'll see kind of the scope of his influence. Um, so the first guy or the first group I'll mention to be really influenced by Crowley are the Beatles. Um, now, the first time um, we get a little Crowley feature was on the album art of nineteen sixty seven of the 1967 album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, And a lot of people speculate that 
Sergeant Pepper himself is Aleister Crowley because in the song it says, it was 20 years ago today, Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. They've been going in and out of style, but they're guaranteed to raise a smile. So may I introduce to you the act you've known for all these years, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The album was released 20 years after Crowley died. So the first line says it was 20 years ago today. I mean, it's a little connection. I mean, is it like end-all be-all, like definitive? I don't know. Um, you could argue that Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is also like Satan, right? This is also kind of similar to what we just read about um, Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, the lyrics there are honestly kind of similar. And I mean, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? Lonely Hearts Club Band. I mean, <laughs> think of the Beatles, you know? A lot of people don't like the Beatles. I like the Beatles. I love the Beatles. But they are kind of like... <laughs> you know, like a lonely heart type of band. Like, you know, they sing about love a lot and wanting love and hopeless love, hopelessly love and love, love, love. And oh, my heart, my heart, I have a big heart and love and peace and ah, all that sort of thing. But um, John Lennon also, he did not reference Crowley by name, I don't think, but he did say, quote, the whole Beatle idea was to do what you want, right? To take your own responsibility, do what you want, and try not to harm other people, right? Do what thou will, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody. That's what he said. So, do what thou will, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody. Aleister Crowley said, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Now, Aleister Crowley, John Lennon is a little more specific in his description, but Aleister Crowley was more like, no, just do what you fucking want. You know, you want to fucking do, you want to fucking do ritual sacrifices with babies and you want to do blood sacrifices and blood orgy. I mean, I don't know what, look, I don't know everything that this guy was into, but I have a feeling it was dark. I'll just say that. Now, the next band I'm going to mention here is Led Zeppelin. Uh, now, in terms of talking about Led Zeppelin, it was really Jimmy Page that was really, really into the occult. I mean, he was very passionate about it. And he even had um, uh, the band members like make their own sigils. He had them all draw their own sigils. Um, and his own sigil is actually the alchemical symbol for Saturn, um, which... You know, Saturn, <laughs> that's another episode I'm going to be doing. I think I mentioned it on the podcast before this one, but I'm going to be talking about Saturn at some point. It's very significant, but I just have to find a right angle to kind of go about it. But um, he had all the band members make their own sigil basically. Um, he said that the band members selected them from a reference book of sigils, actually. So, I mean, Jimmy Page felt very passionately about this, this sort of thing, and he even went so far as to buy Aleister Crowley's old house at Bullskin House on the shore of Loch Ness, and that's right, Aleister Crowley lived off the shore of Loch Ness, Ness. So we all talk. I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard of the Loch Ness monster. Okay, I have a feeling that that's that's why they call it that because Aleister Crowley lived there and he was six 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 the beast. He was trying to conjure something, maybe, and maybe he did. Maybe he conjured something in the lake of Loch Ness. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and at this bullskin house, um, Crowley... And uh, why would Jimmy Page buy this, you know? It's weird. 
because it's the same place that Crowley performed a six-month-long black magic ritual called Abramelin. Now, black magic, I've read about black magic a little bit, and that's dark stuff. It's just dark. It's really dark. A six-month-long black magic ritual? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck are you doing for six months? <laughs> like, oh, doing a black magic ritual. Like, were they sacrificing babies? Were they... I mean, what were they... I don't know. I don't even want to know. It's just bizarre. Bizarre, bizarre. Um, now, David Bowie. David Bowie is probably... Honestly, the biggest fan of Crowley of anybody on this list. Um, And the biggest occultist on this list. I mean, if you want to know about the occult, if you want to know about the nature of things, if you want to know about what's going on, look into the life and the career of David Bowie. Because, I mean, it's everywhere with him. Um... Now, he had an album called Hunky Dory, and on there is a track called Quicksand, and that song literally opens up, quote, I'm closer to the golden dawn, immersed in Crowley's uniform of imagery, but what is beyond? So, we have a direct reference to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which I mentioned earlier. He was immersed in Crowley's uniform of imagery, and... There is a picture of him replicating a picture of Aleister Crowley posing in an Egyptian pharaoh costume. I'll go ahead and post that on my Instagram. And I'll also post another picture of Bowie. Uh, He was photographed drawing the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. And it's a very interesting photo to me because Kabbalah really plays into this whole thing as well. Um, but you know, Cabal, that's a whole nother episode for a whole nother time. I'm about to finish this one up. So, um, I'll talk about Cabal at another time, but Bowie, I mean, all you have to do is type in Alistair Crowley and David Bowie into Google and you'll get a lot of stuff. Um, and I mean, Bowie was steeped in the occult and I mean, his music, it's all over his music. Black Star is an alchemical death, you know, that he broadcasts to the world. Like, like it's just bizarre. Maybe he was an alien. I mean, like, literally a fucking... I don't know. It's weird. Ozzy Osbourne, right, he literally had a song, Mr. Crowley. Mr. Crowley. Okay, I'm not going to sing. Um, let me pull up the lyrics here if I can. Yeah, Mr. Crowley, what went on in your head? Oh, Mr. Crowley, did you talk to the dead? Um, you know, referencing AWOS. Uh, you know, this guy that you talked to. Uncovering things that were sacred manifest on this earth. Oh, conceived in the eye of a secret. Yeah, and they scattered the afterbirth. Strange, right? Ozzy Osbourne. And Ozzy Osbourne is no... uh, He's definitely no stranger to these concepts. Um, And Satanism. uh, Because he's good buddies with Marilyn Manson, who has been in the news as of late for his sexual assault allegations, which... You know, they're allegations, okay? I mean, I don't know what happened, but would I be surprised if they were true? No, I wouldn't. He's always been into this weird occult ritual stuff. He's got the sigil of Lucifer tattooed on his hand. I'm talking about Marilyn Manson right now. Um, And, I mean, he has a reference to Crowley in his very first album. He has a song called Misery Machine where he says... Man in front got a sinister grin, careened down Highway 666. We're gonna ride to the Abbey of Thelema. Now, the Abbey of Thelema was a place where Aleister Crowley practiced his magic occult rituals. Uh, let me 
look and see if I can find where it was for sure. And you have Abbey Road, right, with the Beatles. And then this was called the Abbey of Thelema. Um, it was established in 1920. Um, it was a small house which was used as a temple and spiritual center founded by Aleister Crowley in Italy. It was in Sicily, Italy. Um, and now it's just in ruins and people still visit it sometimes. And uh, there's a lot of graffiti on the walls and that sort of thing. It'd probably be a pretty cool place to visit. Um, controlled churches, Gnostic. Uh, okay. Yeah, so Thelema is very much a Gnostic type religion. And Gnosticism is something we're going to have to get into at another time also. Okay, I'll just mention two more people, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, Jay-Z, of course, you got to mention Jay-Z. Illuminati confirmed for sure. Um, there's a video, uh, it's a behind-the-scenes video of Run This Town. He's being interviewed, and he's wearing a black sweatshirt or black hoodie that says, Do What Thou Wilt. I mean, pretty fucking blatant. Couldn't be any more blatant, really, if you know about this sort of thing. So he's obviously a fan, influenced by Crowley's work. And Absol is another rapper that has directly referenced or had reference to Crowley. He literally named his fourth album, Do What Thou Wilt. Um, and in an interview with Hype Beast, he said, Yeah, that's a famous quote from Mr. Crowley. To me, it translates to free will. Not necessarily do what you want to do, because that's kind of chaotic, but do what you will do, but you will to do, will being stronger than a want, something that's supported by love and passion, that's what that quote means to me, and you know I'm a man of quotes, that's just one of those that resonated with me the most, and I mean, I get where he's coming from, from that perspective, I mean, do what thou will is, I mean, it does kind of hold relevance today. A lot of, like, kind of like Elena Blavatsky's concepts ring relevant today. So do Aleister Crowley's. I mean, I mean, right now, this podcast, it's my will to do this podcast and to hopefully see something come of it one day. I mean, it, that's my will, and I'm doing it. And you do what thou will, right? <laughs> like, you do what you want to do. Like, um, and that's how you live within within reason right you gotta do it within reason all right that's that for this episode um check out my instagram plain sight podcast um stay tuned i think my next episode i really want to go see eternals um marvel's eternals and do an analysis slash review on that and i think i'll be doing like a prequel to that so getting into like ancient aliens and the ancient astronaut theory and all that stuff all that crazy kooky stuff um but we're gonna get into it so stay tuned and thanks for listening